0: So nurses could say something like, isn't it just weird to have a date? And we'd be able to say, you know, you're right, it is. It's very different. It's philosophically different to have a date on Tuesday at six o'clock that one's patient will be gone. And so just hearing what every nurse had to say was an opportunity. You called it a communication challenge and in a sense, it was, but it was also a terrific opportunity to be open as a staff to every element and nuance of people's responses.
1: Welcome to Radical Nurse Talk, a podcast that explores nurses' communication in serious situations and illness as a radical act of care. I'm your host, Patricia Dragon. Has a patient or family member ever asked you about medical assistance in dying? what we in Canada refer to with the acronym MAID, if someone did ask you, what would you say? In this conversation, I explore that situation with Jane Slemmon. When this arose in her practice, a hospice where patients sometimes wanted to talk with nurses about the possibility of MAID. In 2016, MAID became legal in Canada. The Canadian Nurses Protective Society notes that the Canadian Bill C-14 amended the Canadian Criminal Code and created an exemption from criminal prosecution for healthcare professionals who assist physicians or nurse practitioners in the provision of MAID. And that's Section 2413. Two forms of MAID would be permitted under the Criminal Code. 1. The administration of a substance to a person at their request to cause their death and 2. The prescription or provision of a substance to a person at their request so that they may self-administer the substance. It is important to note that our conversation will focus on general nurse communication regarding MAID that can come up in any practice setting and will not include the assessment or the administration for MAID that lies within the nurse practitioner and physician scopes of practice. In Canada, nurses can engage in providing information and education about MAID and answering questions about MAID-specific care. Nurses cannot encourage, recommend, counsel, or advise a person to consider MAID Nurses listening should refer to the particular policies in their Canadian province or territory and practice within the scope of that legislation. And finally, to my guest, Jane Slemon, who became a nurse in the 70s and for the first part of her career, worked in critical care areas, mostly the intensive care unit. Today, she's director of care at a 10 bed hospice in the lower mainland in British Columbia. She works with individuals who are navigating the end of life in their final days and weeks. Recently retired from Emily Carr University where she taught in the humanities and the sciences courses based on anatomy, physiology, and metaphor. She is also a musician with two CDs of original tunes and songs. Welcome, and thank you for so generously agreeing to share your uh, experiences and insights about working with nurses and who who may be uh, asked about made.
0: Thank you, Patricia.
1: Can you tell me how it came to be that you had to start thinking about helping nurses communicate? with patients and families about MAID?
0: Well, to back up just to where you were talking about uh, Bill C-14, I, I want to say that uh, since I have been nursing since the 70s, it it has been a whole career of watching this come toward us. We called it euthanasia. We talked about uh, the 1972 uh ruling that it was no longer illegal to commit suicide and all the way to the 90s early 90s with sue rodriguez who then challenged um the present situation and said if if i don't have the right to figure out when to die whose body is this and then challenged us to say if i with als or lou gehrig's disease don't um have the ability physically to commit suicide then what right do i have i've i've um she challenged that right, and so we watched uh, with great interest um, for decades. To these um, these rights arrive. Um, then there was um, Gloria Taylor in two thousand and eleven, who challenged um the the legal situation further and and said, if I do have um no right to do to uh, commit suicide myself, then I'm going to have to do it early because I too have ALS, and I'm going to lose months of my life, maybe years, because then I'll have physically be able to do this. So that challenge was terrific, the uh, effective. and uh, and then add to that the the Carter case, which challenged uh, Canadians further and led to the two thousand and fifteen uh, Supreme Court decision to actually allow mate and so uh, your question when did the conversation begin you know it it begins a long time ago uh, since nurses have always been asked the question can you shorten my life is there something that I am taking one of these pills in that little you know pill cup is one of these causing my life to be longer? Is it an antibiotic, an anticoagulant, something? Is there one of these that I don't need to take? And and so the question of can I shorten my life is as old as nursing, I'm sure. Um, and, and that leaning in toward finding out what the person really wants. That conversation is just core to nursing. Um, so the conversation begins as the law is changing. And all of us really were anticipating this for years before it came. Um, so the conversation was just among us, right? Watching it come. And the place where I worked held a conference with um, hundreds of people and said, okay, though this is coming. What does it mean to us? And, and had a panel discussion with a physician and other ethicists and you know, various people. Discussing where uh, here it comes, and then before June sixth, two thousand and sixteen, when the bill was made law, people would come to us into our hospice and say, "You know, I'm waiting for that date. I want to die on June sixth. I'm here to die on June sixth, or a day after, but I'm just waiting for that day." So the conversation was around us all the time, Patricia, and it's been it's been more and more fascinating every single person who asks.
1: That's interesting that the conversation. Is starting with the patient. Ah, oh, sure. Making the request.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm thinking that not all patients maybe want it, but people might want to talk about it. Maybe they want to explore it. You had a very it sounds open uh, conversation about that as a possibility that people might be thinking about. So you were prepared a little bit in in thinking about it. How did your nurses respond to that?
0: It's such a good question, and it's nuanced. it's it's um there are many, many responses to it, and you've got as many, I guess, personal feelings about it as there are people, and there are examples. Um, I felt that I, I, my naive thought in the years before this came to the hospice uh, was that these are the people who have a prognosis a short prognosis three months or less and so nature is coming for them and uh it probably won't be um, much of an issue in our in a in a hospice Uh, and i was completely wrong about that and so there are dozens of examples that uh, we draw on as a team and we talk about all aspects of these things because um, they are so interesting and they are just part and parcel of the work that we do in finding out what people's values are and what their goals are which are you know the the values of a person are the you know cultural ethical just the life pattern that they bring to the place um and they may be different from every other family member um but the goals of the individual are interesting too as some people for example uh, one fellow interested in physically suffering because as a Buddhist he needed to actually engage in that more and hadn't engaged Engaged in it enough and so people have very different goals so the person who um, probably first said I'm interested in made on on June 6th 2016 was able to uh, figure out where the how to do the paperwork and and just have it in mind what was going to happen and she didn't she wasn't able to apply just yet but she she knew what was going to happen and so we could talk about it all the way along on her journey and see um, um, and help her um, she happened to die on June sixth uh, of something sudden and so we we didn't get to see how that story ended but in fact we felt it was very close to what she was hoping for you are interested in how we brought the conversation together. We, we had such interesting early examples. Uh, for example, a woman who's um, who had seen medical aid in, uh, in dying as uh, an option on TV. And she hadn't been able to read in diff- or two different languages that she functioned in, but she knew that it existed. And when she asked her family about it, they, translated uh, a different sentence for her to the home care nurse, brought her into the hospice and refused to translate this request of hers. Um, we felt that something was amiss. And so we got a translator in there and find, found out what she wanted. And she did have um, provision of made way back when we had to wait 10 days, which is an interesting other issue. We don't have to wait the 10 days anymore for most cases, she did articulate what she wanted and was able to find provision and assessments. Um, in the early days, we wondered whether or not we'd have uh have assessments on site because ours is a faith-based organization. And uh we were able to articulate that these people who may be asking for medical assistance and dying need palliation and need our care. And so when people said, I've got the paperwork done, but I'm not doing well at home, we were able to say, come on in. So all of these different stories had another element of the puzzle for us and whether we um, could fully support them. So we we as nurses just talked about what the needs were of the individual. And indeed, nurses came up with different comments all the time. And it just is great to stay open and stay uh, on the level of interest in the story and in the individual, in the mystery of the, the spirit of the individual, in the desires, so that we can always talk about things and keep the lines of communication open. So nurses could say something like, isn't it just weird to have a date? And we'd be able to say, you know, you're right. It is. It's very different. It's philosophically different to have a date on Tuesday at six o'clock um, that that one will one's patient will be gone. And so just hearing at what every nurse had to say was an opportunity. Um, you called it a communication challenge. And in a sense, it was, but it was also a terrific opportunity to be open as a staff to every element and nuance of people's responses.
1: Uh, so that would definitely come from your leadership. There was an openness that was created. Uh, that's what I'm hearing is that you created space for people to have those conversations amongst themselves around how this related to their nursing practice.
0: You're so right. Um, We wondered at first, each nurse wondered at first, am I supposed to talk about this directly with the patient? How do I respond? And so it's tricky in a faith-based organization, but the uh, management, the organization itself said to nurses directly and right at the beginning, never shut this question down. Always stay open to it. Remember, it's a Canadian right, and it is now an option for every Canadian, and we will support that. So, in your communication, remember that every every utterance can be a window shutting or a window opening, and this is an opportunity to keep it open and certainly uh, tell the person that, yes, that I, I can, you know, we can further this conversation and I will re- relate that to the proper person, usual, we'll, in this case, a physician, and in, in most cases, a nurse practitioner or a physician, who often is the first um, uh, assessor in in the present circumstance. But at first, we needed to to really rehearse with people how you respond in, in different situations. Um, and some people were ner- more nervous about it and certainly about their role in it than others. There's been times where we talked about the ethics of bringing it up because somebody hinted at it. And so you bring across that hint and you say, hmm, you know, maybe, maybe this was a hint that was meant to be passed on. So it, it's an awkward thing to, to ask for at first. Um, but I'm noticing that people are quite able to ask for that injection thing they might say or a way to make this shorter or isn't there something else you can offer that would make my life shorter or um i've heard of medical assistance in dying they, they there's a range of the way people bring it up uh, so nurses have have a lot of different responses somebody says oh i don't think we're supposed to talk about that and you, you can take that moment right away to say actually there are some things you can say and keep the conversation open that's so interesting
1: because we we do talk about nurses uh, picking up cues from patients, Uh, that's something nurses are good at. You can choose to pick them up or choose to ignore them. And so you're describing lots of different ways that patients might start to feel out if there was an openness to talk about it.
0: Hmm. I remember one woman saying, "How long do you think I might live? Do you think it, it's a it's a week?" And I, you'd say, you know, that phrases can be weeks to days, or, or days to weeks. Excuse me, weeks to months. I mean, just a kind of a big range. And and we always remind people, well, you know, bodies are tricky, people are tricky, and that you know, something might. Might happen quickly. That always is the truth for any of us, and sometimes we can really surprise ourselves by by being alive for a long lot longer than we expected to. So you you can stay to range, but this woman was clearly focused on how many days. Do you think it's near 10? Because if it is near 10, I want to know if it's longer than 10 or shorter than 10. This was way back when in the first years where t- there was a 10-day waiting period, which was fairly strict. And so if I ask for made today, by next Thursday, do you think I'd be able to get it? And do you think I might be gone by then naturally? So what this woman wanted to actually do play with in that conversation was here I am the most vulnerable person on earth. I'm dying. I'm not able to do anything, but this is one thing I can do. And I want to talk about what I can do. And so her joy in getting the paperwork done and actually um, exercising her Canadian right was helpful for her because it gave her power. Her family was not in agreement and she let them know that uh, they didn't get a vote. And that it really was an okay thing because it was this 10 days or that 10 days. And they came within a very short amount of time to understand her agency and and the power that it gave her in her uh, vulnerable state. So sharing this with the nurses, I think, uh, you know, was it okay for me to talk about that? Of course it was. It was her agency that really was the core of the conversation. Uh, she figured out what what potential the moment could have.
1: Recognizing that there's not always agreement between the patient and, and the family, are nurses ever asked to have a discussion about that with either the family or, or patient? Has that been your experience?
0: You know, it's hard to uh, answer the notion of our our nurses asked to have a conversation with them, but conversations come up where they come up, at the bedside, in the hallway, at the water cooler. Um, And one responds. And I think that having lots of examples and and finding our respect within us, within the complexity with which we respond to it, and I mean that like ethically, personally, theologically, philosophically, medically, practically, like, you know, we have, you know, um, each request for medical aid in dying is different. And uh, it, it has a response in us. So you stand there with all of that complexity in the nurse and your professional role as a nurse to stay open and to absorb what the person is going through. Yes, of course you do stand there and say, you know, here's how you're feeling. Just tell me more about that. And, and, you know this is sometimes you say stick to the facts this is what she said to me you know this is this is the way she put it uh, just to just to let that h- lie in the air and and allow someone to absorb it um and uh, see in their own minds whether that's going to be okay um as well uh many hospices have chaplaincy that's quite special um chaplaincy is uh attendance to this, the spiritual uh, aspects of the person, uh, in any denomination, in any philosophy, in any realm of meaning and metaphor, and um, the layers of the human. In one fellow situation, he was a from a Buddhist family, and half of his family had had uh, converted to, to Christianity, and so in his final days before his request. For for made, he wanted to become a Christian as well, and so then the this the conversation isn't about medical assistance and dying, but the other big topic, which is, will I see you in the afterlife? That brings up the fascinating part of this story, which is, how do you feel about somebody else who is uh, choosing medical assistance in dying and a date for provision rather than a natural death? Does that change the way you stand beside them? And does that that change the way you hold the story of their life and the meaning of it? We can all help with that. I
1: think there's so many things that you've touched on there. One I'm hearing is um, the nurse being very aware of themselves. I think you're saying uh, that you're creating spaces Mm -hmm. for people to share versus fixing a problem or answering with uh, certainty about anything related to this that people have a need to talk uh
0: people when you when you mean uh, are you thinking of uh, individuals and families or all of us do need to talk this through I think what's been most helpful in the communication is sitting down um together in the back room and saying hmm uh, how do you how do you feel about this one um and I remember one that caused a, a certain amount of moral despair in a nurse because the uh, the individual uh, requesting medical assistance and dying gave different answers to, to about a dozen people. One answer was because I had an invalid grandparent in my room. I don't want to be that person. One was I I, I learned I was dying. I'm not dying. I could have years. It's, it, that is a burden to me. Another person, she said, uh, uh, "I want to do this special event with you. That sounds fantastic. I am also interested in, in fashion, and we shall do this together." To another person, she made plans for fish and chips and, and that kind of thing. And then to another person, she just said, I, "I, I, must go. I, I am done. I'm really, I'm done." And she said that to the, you know, the assessors, the, um, the chaplain, you know, various people, the physician, and and so it was all happening at once. She was continuing her life with some people and stopping her life with others and that is her right as well but it caused some upset in in the perception of of nurses and so there is that backroom talk where you are finding out how people feel and then there is the uh the formal uh, in-service, the staff meeting, where you bring people together and face-to-face, thank goodness it wasn't pandemic and we could meet face-to-face, and we would go through the various uh, reflections that were available to us and talk about it ethically, talk about it theologically, talk about it personally and philosophically, so that we would just, even if people weren't quite ready to talk, they could reflect. And we let them know as leaders that we expected them to reflect. And, and have a personal reflection. You can, you can kind of fast track that by saying, well, you know, in our lifetime, someone may ask us, would you please come with me to this made provision? I'd like you to be there. It could be a patient. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. And so that hurries up your need to actually kind of think this through on your, on your own terms. How would I feel about that? How would I, how would I find it in myself? And if, can you sort of say, well, I would never do this or I, I'm uh, in my religion doesn't let me or something like that? Can you say that and at the same time say, I respect you in your decision? And so I think everybody has to ask that question and have the answer somewhere tucked away. So we wouldn't require everyone to answer the difficult questions, but certainly we we requested people reflect on every aspect of it.
1: And so how did you prepare yourself for leading those conversations.
0: You know, I read nursing articles and there were some great ones. Right at the uh, in the early days there's the, there was one called Shades of Gray Conscientious Objection in Medical Assistance in Dying by Barb Pasut, Sally Thorne and Madeline Grieg. That was that was early years. Um, there was uh, another terrific article called What Suffering Got to Do with It: A Qualitative Study of Suffering in the Context of Medical Assistance in Dying. Uh, Barb Passalt, Sally Thorne, Margaret Hall, Gloria Perrin. Janet Starch, Madeline Huggins, 2021. Terrific articles. Um, Another one hospice care providers' experiences of grappling with medical assistance and dying in a hospice setting. And that's a a qualitative description um, by Shannon Freeman, Davina Banner, Valerie Ward. There's some just terrific articles that, and what these do is they are collecting nurses responses so nurses who've given it thought who know that they're um they're anonymous in saying these these comments and so if we can hear these comments of grappling and and identifying suffering these are nurses who must assess for suffering all the time so where are where where are the new places that we're seeing suffering that we haven't learned to see before should this happen here it at hospice, or should it happen elsewhere for a variety of reasons? These are all interesting questions, and so we could bring these to reflections and hypothetical situations. Um, even though we had lots of examples of people who just wanted to talk about it, who knew how to ask for it, we had many ways that we could uh, reflect on this, and we we called it reflection, We, we even informally or formally. So, Probably once a year, or once every two years, we have had a um, uh, a speaker come to talk about medical assistance in dying, or we've had the maid office, the very generous in giving us their time to give us their stories and help us just be verbal about it. Be be allowed to have a personal response and a professional one, and work to finding out how we could be the professional, even if we had personal. Uh, feelings. I've actually seen nurses um, develop their their personal feelings and and change them over the years. It's the examples that really um, show us the difference. And hearing from other nurses is very very powerful when you're a nurse.
1: Yes, interesting that you point out suffering as an issue versus dying. Thinking about the what it is that brings people to ask for medical assistance in dying. So as nurses, seeing suffering perhaps in a different way.
0: Yes, I think where I seem to take that question, Patricia, is um, the the natural palliation, the, the natural flow of a life, that people who are close to dying are ready for it. There is an acceptance, um, there is a relief when death comes lots of times, there's joy in the hallways, there's a lot of laughter even in someone's last, last days. There is uh, attention to um, alleviating symptoms of all kinds that are partly body, partly spirit, partly um. Uh, emotions and relationships um, communications get fixed uh, we we focus on all different things uh, even sometimes financial burdens um, and uh, bureaucratic histories of you know things that have been tough for people on their journey through a very complex healthcare. sometimes it's the not dying fast enough that is the suffering it's the change of role from patriarch to to invalid. Um, It's the fact that people are not in their own cities doing their own jobs, but they're here beside me and I can't take it anymore. Sometimes it's, I can't cook for you, so I have nothing to live for. You can't really tell what makes somebody else suffer unless you really just listen to the new story that's here. One woman said, You know, my husband's not touching me. I'm I'm suffering from the lack of this touch. And it was interesting that he said, Well, I'm a chemist and I know that my cancer was not caused by the fact that I didn't I'm not touching you, that we don't live in the same cities. And the doctor sat down and said, Well, actually, touch is chemistry. It's dopamine, serotonin, and <laughs> Oxytocin, and so he said, "Okay, I'll, I'll engage in this." And they they had some a wonderful time before she died, but suffering for her was a very different story than we could have thought up. Um, so we must attend to to the nuances of what suffering is for each individual, and we can't we can't guess what it is.
1: Good counsel. I think mostly we think about physical suffering, or perhaps grieving as. Um, Anticipate, anticipating loss as suffering and you're inviting us to think about a much bigger concept here so
0: it is what people say it is isn't yeah. it i Thanks. think the the assessing doctor has the job of really listening to that and 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 letting people say it um and whether it it, it sometimes it um doesn't fit what they say to nurses but that's everyone's right too we all construct ourselves a little differently in every conversation as well
1: Do you ever have uh, a situation where someone changes their mind or tests out their decision with... Absolutely.
0: Thank you. I'm sorry to interrupt. There was a fellow who uh, was... He felt that he would feel more power and agency in his life if he just had the paperwork uh, done and he had the assessments done and everything got to yes. And the next question was, okay, what's the date? It's actually Tuesday at 7, okay. And he was shocked... And insulted, he felt pushed. I only experienced that story once. Uh, Other people would say, "Could it be Monday? You know, Tuesday sounds a little long." But uh, for him, it was no, no, no. I I had no intention of causing a uh, having a date here. Um, So that I mean, these uh, these are surprises. Um, Another person said, um, "You know, with their family all around." It was a neat setting, actually, because the kids and all the different uh, generations arrived in the room to have a good 10 people sitting around, and they were very very awkward. A chaplain came in and said, you know, um, I see this large cookie here, really large cookie here. I wonder if we could just all have one bite of it and recognize this moment of saying goodbye to grandma and helping people say goodbye. And they all did that, and they laughed uproariously. And in at, at the end of that, um, the person um said, uh, the person who was uh, scheduled within minutes to leave the building uh, said, you know, I might change my mind. I'm not sure this is the right date.' And there was just a moment of pause in the room, and we we all said, Fine, you know, but uh, the um that's that is your right. and so we 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 do remind people, but especially with that hint, you, you want to be very careful with with that moment. Uh, a person said, I might be back, you know, I I, I might be back. And you just, you, you, you want to say, absolutely fine. You don't want to be uh, interpreted as talking them out of it um, and yeah. saying, oh, no, 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 we can com- completely call it off. Of course you can call it off, but you've told them that ahead of time. And you let them know that you do let them know well ahead of that moment that there's any possibility. And of course, the agency that they are exercising right now goes right to the moment that they want to turn around. You, you know, you can let them, you can let them know that, but you, you must not come across as, as trying to talk them out of it as well. So these things are tricky. Bringing it up is tricky when it hasn't been brought up. And that also is tricky. You want to make sure that you're not uh, being part of their decision you're just supporting their decision. For that reason in a place that uh has provision outside of the building. It's 5 minutes away and uh a uh, a van that is uh designated for for this purpose is paid for by the by our facility. Um and uh, the driver is told what the job is so that they would never, uh, demonstrate some, um, a negative attitude on, on route or even surprise. They are on board and told. And so, uh, then they meet, uh, with, um, people who, uh, five minutes down the road are waiting for them and have a clinic that is private and, uh, uh, fine decor so that, uh, it seems like a homey situation. Uh, and in that moment, um, it's important to just support people. So, is it difficult? Well, I'm thinking it is
1: difficult. Um, your nurses are used to the patients dying. That is the purpose that they end their lives well, um, and that they're supported um, so that that is the suffering is relieved in your facility. Uh, so, these are diff- different circumstances in a way when nurses are saying goodbye to patients.
0: Saying goodbye is such an interesting topic. And that's another piece of the communication. You know, it, it, it's again, sometimes a nurse will say, well, I just don't know what to say. And and you can help them. Uh, you can say, well, here's what I did. Um, or I, I what I truthfully say is I'm not sure what I'm going to say until I'm standing in front of them. But something inside them lets you know what to say and what the moment is right for. Sometimes nurses uh, have rehearsed what they want to say ahead of time with me in the hall or with one another, uh, and and sometimes they say, "I'm doing it for the three of us because uh, not this person won't see these staff members," um, and so I'm I'm actually going to mention these names. All three of us have texted today, and we're all saying goodbye to you and something formal. People really seem to enjoy that. Um, what I mean is individuals in the bed. Appreciate that because it normalizes that that uh, experience for them. Yes, there's there's no sort of uh, see you later uh, pussyfooting around. That this is the this is the day that we're saying goodbye to you. We won't see you tomorrow most likely. Your room will be still set up for you until we're sure. But you know uh, this is goodbye. And often I have said, "This is what you've taught me." and it's different every time i and i i give a moment to here's what i learned from your situation about agency or about choice um you you mentioned patricia the you know the watching life ebb in different ways and for people who have chosen medical assistance in dying often it's those people who you know are facing a difficult ending and and one that is sort of a trade off between lucidity and Uh, symptom management um and there are some symptoms that are just so hard on people so people say you know this this line has been crossed in my life i no longer have access to the joy of food for example and i i really am not going to be able to go back there so the nurses do see that uh, a life ebbing in a natural situation and one ended because the person doesn't want to live the last bit is not that much different.
1: Um what a lovely way to let people know that they are valued and treasured by you as their caregiver. That that they, that they've taught thank you. Yeah.
0: And it's yeah. True, I feel so humble to stand in front of somebody who's made such a brave choice and who's who's gone into communication beyond where I've gone. And to stand before them and say, I recognize you, I I see you, and I, I see your situation. I appreciate what you have weighed out as um coming to a place where you know we don't have provision on site and made the decision to be there because of the palliation that we can offer along the way even that because people are told ahead of time that there is provision here on site so they say okay well i will still you know i'd still like this i'd still like this um ability to come in and avoid a hospital i can't live at home i can't feed myself i can't get up whatever they're going through and they do want to be there i
1: I've heard you speak a lot about reflection and sharing. There is a reflective guide that has been that has been made. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
0: The uh, made reflective guide for nurses. Yeah, what's that about? <laughs> Gee, it's just beautifully made. And it's something that I enjoyed sharing uh, with my staff and with with all the people that I connect with in other facilities as well, other hospices, um, other uh, wards of uh, palliative care. Um, but I think it's good for anyone to to see what nurses are are um, needing to reflect on these days it has separate pages for um different topics and the different difficult uh, moments that nurses have had um the practical support of the family for example how do you how do you behave in the room when provision is occurring how do you behave ahead of time um how do you talk about this with nurses especially when you disagree on a personal level are there times when um, uh, nurses have um, feel like they have a different role and therefore they're They're feeling different in their shift. Um, Is there a way that uh, we can communicate uh, what access to medical assistance and dying is like with each family? And this guide is a total help. it uses music. It uses uh, video, uh, questions and answers. We can hear the voices of nurses talking and asking questions and offering their thoughts. It's it's short, but it's really really sweet and beautiful. It, it just um, it allows you to engage with questions in uh, in the animation and uh, excellent uh, writing that's within that guide. That guide was created by
1: nurses. True. In in British Columbia,
0: yes, UBC, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, and um, do you do you have the so the name is the Made Reflective Guide that that is uh, available to anyone I think on on the uh, internet at www dot Right,
0: and Made would be M A I D.
1: Yes. And uh, so that is a uh, something anybody can access mm-hmm. free of charge to introduce either for themselves or for their, uh, perhaps in their unit or, or with the folks that they work with. Are there any other specific resources that you would recommend or that you've found helpful
0: um, along the way? Well, I've mentioned the ones that that I read very closely with the nurses. Right. Um, and uh so i think that i'll leave the resources at uh, with um, at that like except that each uh province has a made office Maybe each city as well, and uh, those people are a terrific resource as well, um, especially since they're able to answer questions, especially you know that that might be tricky or lead to uh, moral distress in nurses. They are able to say, actually, uh, you know, you might have seen a part of this story, and here's the rest of it, or here's the kind of thing that it might be. And so uh, that has happened where you just need to reach to somebody and say, you know, this person, uh, uh, part of the part of the nursing staff is a little worried about this assessment getting to yes. it just didn't seem like a yes. And so we need to ask you what it was that um, you know that gets to yes. And they are able to say, you know, in fact there's a there's a bigger picture. And uh, so the the assessor did uh, note suffering um, that was um, not tolerable. And so uh, they can give a bigger picture. And I think that that per, that settling of the personal story is really important to, to to many to many of us. I think the resource really is each other. Uh, talking about this, uh, not sa- staying stuck. Uh, we are being challenged, you bet, into a new conversation and we will go there um, uh, as uh, a recognition that this is an opportunity, not just for ourselves as nurses, but for everybody in society. What I hope happens next is now that people, who, uh, are, people are able to ask for medical assistance in dying more readily than they can ask for something like palliative sedation because they may say, well, what is that? That is giving you medications that would put you to sleep, put you under and keep you under if that's what you want. You negotiate for just how under you want to be, but it would cause you to sleep until you die. And so you um, can't have that too soon. And that is not available to everybody. But what can you have? Like, what is palliation? What are all of the things that you could have chemically, physically and environmentally and spiritually that would just take your suffering down a, a number of notches so that you could have time to write a book, time to um, be with people, time to just sit and meditate, uh, time to look out a window. Uh, this is what we know less about. And so part of the conversation that is fairly common is people are saying, well, if this happens to me, then I'm gone. Consider me, just shoot me, I'm done. Give me that injection. People are able to say early in their lives, "I, if I, if if I have to go through such and such, and that's that's it for me, this is my line. But my friend, Elizabeth, who is disabled and has been for decades, um, is able to say that her line has shifted. And so listen to people who are disabled, um, who are um, vulnerable, um, Elizabeth says, gee, dependency is an art form and I'm way ahead of most of you. It's a challenge, <laughs> it's an opportunity, but every time she experiences another loss, she says, I feel more fully alive. And she is exercising what she's got within limitations. And when she hears of a sudden decline, she says, oh, too bad for that person. They didn't have enough time to really understand what decline is like and what opportunities there are within it. She's not judging anyone else, but she's saying for her, it would have been very difficult to understand um, the breadth of her life while she can't move at all. She says, I can think and I can dream and I can regret and I can watch TV, and I can hum, I can sing, I can listen, I can observe. You know, she's really involved in in everything intellectual and a whole lot of joy. So I think that that's the other piece of it, Patricia, is that we are discovering our own lines. Uh, and I would like to be able to learn from everybody who is dying, one way or another, how they can shift, how, how we can embody... Uh, a life that is limited, how we can learn about what palliation has to offer so that we can say, dear doctor, I see that you are using these big words on me. I know there is made. I want to know what else there is. What are my choices? What are all my choices?
1: The point around the line shifting uh, is, is notable. People can't really predict how they're going to feel. We think we can, but once we're there, we may feel differently. And and so as nurses, I guess you're saying is we should expect that our own minds, but also patients' minds shift. Mm -hmm. So good advice.
0: We're going into territory that we don't know about. I really hope that we're not shy with one another as nurses and not shy with our, uh, our residents and patients. I hope that we stand beside those who are choosing one way or the other to die and fully honor the life that they have lived and the story they've, their lives have created in ourselves, in our memories.
1: Those are lovely words uh, for us to finish up on today. I, I've really enjoyed hearing about your experiences and um, the wisdom that has come from practice and, and your patients and families and nurses around how it is that we're present with people who are thinking about and deciding about living with decisions around medical assistance in dying and reminding us that it's not all about the decision, about the yes or no, um, that there is a lot around that, a lot of conversation around that for that person and the nursing staff. So thank you, Jane.
0: I really appreciate it. A joy to talk with you, Patricia.
1: Thanks for listening. You can reach me or information about this episode on our website, www.radicalnursetalk.com. The producer-editor of this podcast is Jeremy ramos Foley. social media by Amy Strachan. And if you'd like to support the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. Join me next week for more Radical Nurse Talk. In the meantime, have a radical conversation in your practice. It can change lives.